you can go 30 days without food, three days without water, and three minutes without oxygen. Most people don't breathe properly. They don't. They don't breathe properly in stressful situations. They don't breathe properly when they're on the sidelines trying to relax and de-stress. So first, athletes need to learn how to breathe. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your Peak Performance Coach here with the Peak Performance Podcast. And today, our guest is Jonathan Bulkley. He's a 25-year veteran of the internet industry where he's displayed operational expertise building and capitalizing digital businesses. In that time, he's overseen the $1.5 billion of digital revenue growth in a variety of capacities. He has served as an executive management role at AOL, Time Warner Cable, and BarnesandNoble.com. Bulkley also has focused his expertise in the world of neuroscience, where he feels that athletes and coaches are, have a tremendous opportunity for growth, that it's a very underexplored area, and I couldn't agree more. Most of the time and research has revolved around specific, tangible ways to train the brain and how to achieve a flow state. Now, Jonathan is a graduate of Yale University and an alum of their lacrosse team. We've had Andy Shea, the Yale lacrosse coach here on our podcast, and I remember being on a bus going to Brown University in 2016 with the Yale lacrosse team, who was number one in the country, going to play Brown, who was number two, and we stopped the bus, got off the bus, and Andy just had his guys get out and breathe. And I said, Andy, what's going on here? Is this kind of like a pregame ritual, superstition? And he goes, no, 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 no. Our guys are getting rid of bus brain. They got to oxygenate the brain for peak performance. At that moment, I was intrigued. Andy Shea is as cutting edge a coach in college athletics as there is. And he connected me with Jonathan. So Jonathan, welcome to the Peak Performance Podcast. Super excited to have you here and explore an area that we don't always get to hear from. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. If you could, would you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, your career as an athlete at Yale and then kind of your experience and how you kind of, kind of got turned on to the neuroscience and that connection with athletics? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, you know, I was a high school All-American in lacrosse. I was one of those crazy guys that played goalie um, and went to Yale and played at Yale throughout my four years. Had a great experience. We didn't have the best team, so I didn't get a lot of honors, but it was an amazing experience. Um, then I went on to business and ran a bunch of internet companies and was CEO of a number of public companies. And then about four years ago, I was running a hedge fund, and I invested in a neuroscience company in Australia. And I began reading about the research and actually training my brain using some of their tools, and I saw huge changes in me personally. As that happened, I, you know, I'm a huge sports fan and being a college athlete, I started to watch my kids, watch their sports, watch all my professional teams, and I realized, wow, the mental mistakes are really determining success or failure on the field. And what if you could train your brain to be more proficient? And more, I mean five to ten percent better at whatever your position or whatever your task. So I started to really think about it, and I spent the last four or five years thinking about it and coming up with strategies, including what I told Coach Shea about getting off the bus on a long trip and breathing because there's CO2 uh, residually on the bus, and that clogs the brain. And uh, the teams that get off the bus, I know coaches will know that if you go on a trip, usually your team's a little loggy getting off the bus, and that's because of CO2 and lack of oxygen to the brain. 
So that's how I got started, and I've been on a sort of five-year odyssey going down this path, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. You know, and I think for a lot of our listeners, they're going to be a little confused on, well, what exactly is neuro and neuro, neuroscience? Neuro is, is, you know, neurology and brain and science is science, but how do they connect to athletics? Could you kind of simplify neuroscience and what that is for our listeners? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to talk like one, but I'll try and simplify it for everybody because I'm fairly simple. The first thing I learned about the brain is it weighs three pounds. And the reality is it's the most complex organism in the universe. The math of the human brain is a hundred billion neurons making a trillion connections at all times in each individual brain. That is the most complex organism in the universe. Now each of us has a different connection pattern. So mathematically there's no way that anybody on the planet has the same connections ever. So as a coach, you have to realize that nobody thinks the same way. Nobody sees the game the same way. Nobody's seeing it the way you see it. Everybody's experiencing it differently, and everybody <laughs> is performing at different levels all the time, which is really important to understand. So neuroscience is the study of the brain and the mind and how it works. And there are all sorts of different fields, but for athletics, we really get down to a few common areas, which is you know performance, focus, flow state, and how to achieve optimal performance by training that three-pound computer system that you have inside your skull. You know, there's a great book by a guy named Mihai Chisek Mihai about flow state, and the book is actually called Flow, and he talks a lot about how as an athlete to achieve a flow state. What could you teach our coaches that are listening to this or educate us on about the importance of a flow state, what it is, and maybe how we can get there more often? Yeah, I think most coaches, most players have experienced flow at some point. I'm sure you have, Brian. I know I did. And for me, I remember those games where – I just was performing at a different level or even moments within games where I was just at a different level and everything was working. And that is commonly referred to as flow. And that book you're referring to is actually on my desk <laughs> in front of me. Um, and flow for me is really a place where it's a combination of three things. Your body is in optimal uh, shape to play the sport that you're playing. Your mind is in an optimal state to be in the situation that you're in right then. And your spirit, so mind-body-spirit, or energy, or intent, is optimally aligned for those moments. And when those three things are connected, mind, body, and spirit, you reach a place where you're not really thinking very much, you're just performing. And you're performing at a level where you don't normally perform. And that's because you're not thinking, you're not stressed, you're not secreting chemicals into your brain that are impacting the way you are recognizing that moment. Everything slows down and you achieve a lot more. Maybe it's only 10% or maybe it's only 15%. But in some positions like lacrosse goalie, the difference between a 10% increase in save percentage is the difference between being number one a national champion and being number five and losing in the quarterfinals. Wow, that's fantastic. And, and you know, I think for our coaches listening, they understand the body and the, that sort of conditioning and training. 
I think they understand the mind and I think they're fascinated with that mental game and that's why they, they, they listen to the podcast. Talk a little bit more about the spirit. I think sometimes coaches can get a little bit confused on that. Can you talk a little bit about what's different between spirit and say your mindset? Yeah. Um, you know, the spirit portion for me is really your intent, your confidence, which is all a creation of your mind, right? So intent, are you visualization, visualizing? I don't know how much you've talked about visualizing or done any podcasts on that, but it's very important in sport, very important. I was watching a game the other day, the uh, Dallas Cowboy Green Bay Packer game, and I was thinking about the sidelines, and all the players, when the offense was off, were watching the game. Like, they shouldn't be watching the game. They should be sitting down and visualizing the next three plays they're going to run over and over and over again. So the intent they bring on the field, they've already played that play a couple times, and they're just going to execute against it. They're not thinking, they're just doing. So spirit is intent. It's the energy you bring. It's your confidence. It's your aura that you're bringing to the field and to your team. And everything you exude impacts everyone around you, including the competition. It impacts your teammates, and it impacts the players that you're facing. You, know, you mentioned visualization and watching the Cowboy and Green Bay Packer game and living near Dallas. Um, it, it, it's all people are talking about, right? This time, this time of year is, is how the Cowboys lost to the Packers. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit more about visualization and why visualization is so important? Like, what does it physically do inside of you that helps you to, to succeed, and why is it so important? Mm-hmm creates a pattern and a pathway. If you visualize success and positive outcomes, positive outcomes will happen. It's proven time and time and time again. My favorite story is about a guy named John Brooks. And John Brooks was uh, the last guy picked for the World Cup by, uh, in the last World Cup for the U.S. team. And he was unlikely to play. But in the game against Ghana, uh, he got in in the 80th minute as a defender, and he scored the winning goal on a header in the 86th minute. Well, the story about it is two nights before the game, John Brooks had a dream. And the dream was that he went in after the 80th minute and scored a goal on a header. He wasn't supposed to be on the team. He wasn't supposed to play. And guess what happened? He had the dream. He scored the winning goal against Ghana. (laughs) So... That's visualization of the subconscious, you know, real time. Now, the conscious mind should go through the same things. You visualize positive outcomes continually. And in a lot of sports, and I don't know, there are a lot of different coaches in a lot of different sports who may be listening to this, but during games, when players have time on the sidelines or when they're not actively playing in the game, they should be visualizing positive events and outcomes. They shouldn't just be daydreaming. They shouldn't just be watching the game. They should be visualizing. So as a goalie, for me, you know, most of the time I'm not playing. The ball's down at the other end or it's in the middle and I'm not really playing. For me as a goalie in lacrosse, I was really on probably 12 to 15 minutes of a 60-minute period, which means I have to snap into focus just occasionally, and then I go out and then I snap back in. And you, you create patterns by visualizing that and by doing it over and over and over again. 
You know, one of the techniques I've seen coaches use is like when they're watching film, for example, we'll, we'll use Andy Shea with the Yale lacrosse program. When they're watching film and they watch a couple plays, what he'll often do is have the guys sit up straight, close their eyes and see the play that they just watched on film, but see it in their mind as if it was happening now and see them execute the way they want to. So let's say they ran an offensive set and missed a shot. They would run the offensive set and make the shot or, you know, the same thing on defense. Is that, is that a beneficial form of visualization to tie that into film study? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you another one of my favorite stories and this for coaches may not seem like sport, but chess is the ultimate visualization. <laughs> and chess is highly mental, right? So they did studies of uh, guys, and they took chess champ, a grandmaster, just a regular champion, a local guy who had won, and then a fairly novice guy. And they would flash boards, full boards, with the pieces that moved around in front of people. And they would test them. So they'd flash the board for three seconds. Well, the grandmaster, after three seconds of seeing the board, could put all the pieces in the exact position they were in with just looking at it for three seconds and could do it four times in a row. The master could do it twice in a row and the other guys couldn't do it at all, right? So that visualization, that ability to process information very quickly is the difference between being a novice and being a grandmaster. And that goes for lacrosse, it goes for football, it goes for baseball, it goes for all the sports. And what they call it is chunking taking pieces of information that your brain can use in that moment and being able to process them really quickly. You know, I think you have talked about an example of, of Jenny Finch and one time she was pitching to Albert Pujols. Uh, could you tell that story and kind of how that fits into this, this chunking and brain pattern piece as well? Yeah, there's a great book, uh, The Sports Gene by David Epstein, and the first chapter features the piece about Jenny Finch. She was the Olympic um, fastball pitcher for the women's team in 2004. They won the gold medal. And after that, they uh, took her around and had her pitch to major league baseball players. <laughs> so here's a woman who throws a softball 60 miles an hour. Softball, as you know, is pretty big. So you'd think that Albert Pujols should be able to hit that big ball. It's only going 60 miles an hour. Well, guess what? He couldn't even touch it. And then Barry Bonds was all cocky and got up there. I think he might have fouled one or two balls off eventually. And Alex Rodriguez wouldn't even get at the plate. So why are some of the best batters in baseball history unable to hit a bigger ball at a slower speed? And the reality is they don't have the software to understand her arm angle, her delivery, and the trajectory of the ball. They've always chunked information about 90 mile an hour, 93 mile an hour, pitchers with a smaller ball, and that's what they're programmed for. They can't do it. But if you programmed them differently, they'd be able to do it over time. Now, Albert Pujols is interesting because they tested him for reaction speed. So you think it's about reaction? Well, no, it's not. He tested in the 66th percentile for reaction speed. But what he was able to do was look at the pitcher's angle and arm motion and be able to predict before the ball is actually thrown the location and speed and curvature and trajectory of the ball based on other factors. And that is what everybody has to train for. It's not reacting to the ball most of the time. It's understanding where the ball may go before it's gone there. And that was the skill that I think I had and made me a good lacrosse goalie. 
I knew before the shooter shot the probability of where the ball was going because a hundred mile an hour shot coming from uh, 36 feet away is much too fast for the human brain to react to. So you got to be in front of it. Sorry, I wandered around a little bit. There's a lot there. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. A lot of our listeners are going to be are going to be baseball, softball coaches, and I'm sure they can relate to that to that example. You know, Jonathan, could you share any practical ways, any tools, any resources that maybe you offer or you know are on the market that coaches or athletes could invest in to help them be able to get more on top of this neuroscience and when it comes to applying it with athletics? Yeah, of course. Uh, first thing, standard. my standard wrap, you can go 30 days without food, three days without water, and three minutes without oxygen. So optimal brain function is about oxygen flowing to the brain. You have to have that or you're not going to profess up all the other circumstances. Most people don't breathe properly. They don't. They don't breathe properly in stressful situations. They don't breathe properly when they're on the sidelines trying to relax and de-stress. So first, athletes need to learn how to breathe. And the proper way to breathe is belly breathing, where your belly goes out and your chest stays in, and that's a deep breath, which fully oxygenates the body. Now, that doesn't work when you're running down the field, but when you're on the sidelines or when you're prepping for a game, that's how you relax and de-stress. Every athlete needs to know how to breathe properly to de-stress. Uh, so that's number one, just learn how to breathe. And uh, if you don't know how to do it, coaches, find your local uh, vocal coach and they'll teach you how singers breathe and how they diaphragm breathe and how they control their diaphragm. So that's one. Number two is there are some good tools online. There's a company um, with a site called My Brain Solutions and it's one of the companies I'm actually invested in. It's excellent. All the tools are there. Lumosity also has some tools, but I find they're less um, assessment-based than the My Brain Solutions tools, so I recommend that. Then there's a positive psychology site that I'm also an investor in called Happify. That's H-A-P-P-I-F-Y, and that's all about positive psychology and energy, and that's excellent as well. And then reading. You know, there's no uh, substitute the, the books that we've mentioned uh, on flow, uh, the sports gene, are all excellent. They're not about, they're not highly scientific, so they're very accessible for laymen like me. You know, I'm not a science guy. So I've just been able to learn, read, and watch along the way. Jonathan, are there any other books or other, other you know, maybe routines or habits or are there, well, let me, let me, let me ask a better question here. I'm all excited trying to take notes here and my brain's getting ahead of me. So I got to, I got to do some brain solutions and Happify to get me back in control here. Uh, but are there any other books like flow or the sports gene that have had big impact on you that you think would be beneficial for other coaches or athletes to read? Yeah, there's one that's, uh, I think excellence called the invisible gorilla. So I don't know if you show this in, in your work, but sure do. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So you know that uh, you know nobody's or fifty percent of the people don't see the gorilla, and understanding some of the science behind that, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, looking out with all the linemen in front of you and trying to pick out the defenses and throw a pass, a lot of times they just miss the defenders, right? Why? Well, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but you can train around it. So you can train around selective inattention by improving focus. So. Um, 
the other ones, I don't want to seem too far out there, but the other key here is getting all athletes, every single one, to start meditating. <laughs> and that may sound a little out there. No, we talk a lot about meditation, you know, and th there's an app that that I use every day and I ask our coaches to as well as either Headspace or the Calm app. So yeah, hit that meditation pathway. Keep going. Yeah. So, uh, you know, meditation is proven. What it really does, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, you can think of it as out there Eastern spirituality, but what it really does is allow somebody to see how their mind works and to recognize it, to understand it, and then to begin to control it. And once you start controlling that little voice in your head and you start realizing that your thoughts bounce around a lot and you begin to control them, that gives you the ability to do it in stressful situations and at game speed. And mastering that allows you to stay much calmer in situations, breathe much better, and therefore spend more time in flow state. And it comes from a combination of breathing and meditation. And those meditations can be as simple as just listening to sounds or as simple as visualizing positive outcomes, events, or things you want to have happen. So meditation is a catch-all for a variety of ways to execute understanding your brain or create pathways in your brain. But it's crucial for every athlete. It is probably the single easiest thing to do and the most impactful for coaches. The problem is most coaches these days didn't, didn't grow up with that, right? So they weren't trained, and it's hard to train when you weren't trained in the first place. So I, I understand the, the hurdles that we have to go through. Are there, are there any, how do you do your meditation? Do you do it on your own, or do you use an app like Headspace or Calm where someone kind of takes you through it guided? How do you do it? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little uh, out there on this. I found a tree in Central Park. And I go to a tree in Central Park and meditate there. <laughs> and when you're doing your meditation, are you just sitting there and focusing on your breathing? Talk a little bit about through kind of the, the how-to of what you're doing. Yeah, the, I sort of taught myself. And uh, the first meditation that I taught myself was to close my eyes. And I always thought, well, what do I do with my eyes? Do I visualize things? Or, and what I did was just focus on the light behind my eyelids. You know, you can see the speckled bits if you close your eyes and different colors and stuff. So that's going on. And then you just listen to sound. Listen to all the sounds. And don't visualize the sounds, just listen to the sounds. And what that does for you is some pretty simple things. All you can focus on is what's present right now, what's happening right now. There is no past, there is no future. It's just focus. And it's hard, really hard. The first couple times I did it, I could do it for a minute or two. Now I can go for probably 45 minutes, and I'll get distracted and drift, but I can sit and just listen to sounds for 45 minutes. And the great thing is there are always sounds, and the quieter it is, the more detailed the sounds actually become and more interesting. So that's one technique that I use constantly. The other is to visualize positive outcomes, things I want to have happen, people I want to see, uh, and you'd be surprised what starts happening when you do that. Those outcomes start coming true, like John Brooks's dream about scoring the goal in the World Cup. Um, you know, good things start to happen. And goals that you have thought about, uh, you hit the corner on the shot because you thought about it two days before. Jonathan, have you, are you familiar with the book The Secret by Rhonda Byrne? You know, I'm familiar with it, but I've never read it. So, so I can't comment on it. But uh, I will say, after starting my brain training, 
uh, and starting some meditation, I read 85 books in six months. Wow. So, <laughs> sounds a little geeky, but it was pretty cool, I got to say. I wouldn't say it was geeky. I would say it's, it's a commitment to excellence, man, and that's that's uh, exactly what the listeners to this podcast are all about as well. I mean, there are people who want more. There are people that are hungry, and I know they're going to be hungry and want more of you. Is there a way that they can kind of connect with you via social media or a website or email in case they wanted you to come in and work with their team or they wanted to talk and learn more about you know what you've got going with uh, either My Brain Solutions or Happify? And Is there any way that people can contact you? Yeah, the best is uh, social media, so Facebook um, is good, or LinkedIn. And LinkedIn sort of my professional. It's got many of my neuroscience investments listed there. Facebook is personal, but I'm happy to take questions. I love this space, and I'm really passionate about sharing it with anybody who wants to listen. And it's a growing field, but still it's a little considered a little out there sometimes because it's not old school, it's sort of new school. But this is really the future, I think, of sports, and, and that 5 to 10% improvement in an athlete's performance and a team's performance can really be the difference between you know coming in second and winning the state championship in a lot of cases. So I, I encourage at least the coaches looking into it a little deeper and trying to figure out how to integrate portions of this into what they do and how they approach their athletes. Well, I know the work that you've done with Yale Lacrosse has been tremendous, and Andy Shea speaks the world of you, and I think the world of Andy Shea. So anybody who he recommends, uh, I recommend for the listeners to our podcast, and I recommend they go get some more. The way to find your Facebook, is it just under your name, Jonathan Bulkley? Yeah, Yeah, my last name's a little tough, so we'll spell it B-U-L-K-E-L-E-Y. Fantastic. So they can find you on Facebook, they can find you on LinkedIn, and who knows, hopefully we'll try to get you over to uh, one of the, the coaching clinics and seminars that we do around the country and maybe have you come in and invest some time with the coaches and take them through some meditation and take them through some visualization and educate them a little bit more about neuroscience. I appreciate you being on the podcast, Jonathan. You were outstanding. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a positive review or share a link to this episode on social media using hashtag PeakPod. Mention Brian Kane and one thing you learned in this episode for your chance to win a free ticket to the next Brian Kane Experience live event. Dominic today.